You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee Church, visit vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's this week's message. All right. Well, good morning, Vineyard Milwaukee. I am really excited to have three friends join us today. Uh, This has been some kind of week we've had. I'm sure uh, you are full of all kinds of emotions and thoughts as we're processing the events that have taken place this week. And I just really wanted to spend some time. um, I I thought it would be more interesting to hear other voices than just mine uh, as we respond to the events that took place this week. And so uh, I have three friends here. I'm just going to give them a chance to introduce themselves to you. Um, I, uh, we've had a couple of, the members of this panel as guests with us before. And of course, you know, our one and only Hannah is joining us as well, but I'll just give them a minute in case you are new to our church or just visiting and checking this out. I'll give them a chance just to introduce themselves. So whoever would like to go first. Okay, I'll go. I'm okay. Hannah, I live in Milwaukee and I'm a public school teacher here. So I'm Lydia. Uh, I am originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I've spent the last three years in California, um, moving to Kentucky next weekend. Um, I'm married and have a little toddler, and um, by profession, I'm a licensed professional counselor, spiritual director, and I'm training to be a doula. (laughs) Well, my name is Jay English, and I'm the founder and CEO of Plain English Incorporated, which is a nonprofit uh, we provide consultation services as well as trainings to address issues of race and culture, uh, specifically in regards to multiculturalism in churches, businesses, and nonprofits. So glad to be here. You know, unfortunately, I'm I'm not training to be a doula, so I can't beat that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so yeah, for sure, we have uh, just some incredible humans on with us today, and. Um, and so I just really am looking forward to just spending some time together this morning uh, as we process together the events that, that just took place this week. And so um, I just kind of wanted to start off with just giving it, any one of you who would like to share uh, kind of your initial uh, feelings, thoughts when, you know, a lot of people talk about, we'll always remember where we were you know, when, when 9-11 happened, or, you know, if you're older like me, when the space shuttle blew up, um, you know, diff- different huge sort of monumental events in our history. And I think that what happened um, on January 6th will be one of those events for all of us. And, um, and so I guess my question is kind of where were you and what were you doing when uh, you saw footage of what was going on and kind of what were your initial responses as you watch it unfold throughout the day and begin to process it um kind of how are you feeling what were your 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 first thoughts as you watch that happening i was angry um part of me was angry at what was happening you know it's and i understand every, the right to protest is something we all have. I'm completely for that. I think that's what makes our country amazing. Um, but to see what that turned into 
I just, I was thoroughly disappointed. And then I got angry because I didn't see the level of security or response or police presence or National Guard or any of a number of things. I mean, if I'm being really honest, I was on Twitter last night and I'm, I'm coming across videos that are showing law enforcement opening barricades. That's scary. And I talked to a friend of mine and I said, you know what doesn't happen in my community? <laughs> that um, they show up ready for us and we can peacefully protest for a hundred days. Um, so it's, it's amazing. I saw, I saw in my eyes a very complete and total double standard in how people like me are viewed. We're viewed as a threat. We're viewed as a problem. You better be prepared if they show up in numbers. You better have the riot gear on, the tear gas in hand, and be prepared with seven-foot fences. And I saw several thousand white people show up, and everybody knew they were coming to be rowdy. I mean, this was not a shock. It was all over social media. It was being marketed everywhere. Everybody knew January 6th was the date and they were coming to the Capitol. We all knew this. So even knowing that, they didn't expect them to do that. So, you know, that was, those were, that's where I got angry because all I could think of was if those people had have been Middle Easterners, God forbid somebody has a turban on, and they ran up those stairs and into that building. I guarantee you the response would have been very different. Mm -hmm. If me and a bunch of my friends, if me and these two ladies right here, right now, <laughs> tried to run into the nearest Walmart like that, <laughs> we'd be face down on the pavement, cuffed, zip tied, and thrown in the back of cars. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. So there's, there's a level of, now, many of them are getting arrested now. And this was another part. So I got mad at this, too. The, the, the ability to do what they did and go home and get arrested peacefully tomorrow. <laughs> Where does that happen at? Not here. Not in my community. That's not how that looks. We don't get to turn ourselves in peacefully the next day because they came and knocked on the door and said, hey, we have a picture of you. So it's, to me, everything that we've been saying, and it's, I already know we live in two different worlds. That's upsetting. But to then have people act as if that's not true. Mm. Look at that and tell me. Mm -hmm. And if you do, I don't have anything else to really say. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you still believe that the world is equal, that it's all the same, there is no difference. Look at um, the Black Lives Matter protest in Washington, D.C. and look at the police presence that was there. And that was a peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. I think that's when I got mad too. Oh, I'm sorry, Hannah. Did you want to go? You go ahead. I don't think there was a surprise that something was going to happen. Like I, in fact, told my husband the night before, it'll be interesting to see if they actually confirm Biden because I was like, something's going to happen to mm -hmm. try to prevent that from happening. So I was actually on my way to Milwaukee on a plane. So I missed all of it. When I came off the plane, most of it had finished. And uh, my mom was like, did you hear what happened? And when she told me, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, like that's expected. And then obviously, as you're watching the videos, which I didn't, I just can't do the news right now because it just stirs me up so much that I can't calm down. Um, so I didn't watch the news, but 
obviously later as I look through Facebook and social media, you can see clips of it and you're like, okay, again, I wasn't surprised by the lack of presence or the fact that it wasn't the same as how we would be treated if we were um, protesting. But I did get mad when it was like, people were still saying, yeah, but like they Mm -hmm. still had the evidence right in front of them and they still didn't say, yeah, this is wrong. It shouldn't be happening. It was like the same people who have been saying it's wrong this whole time were speaking up. But the people who have been making excuses were still making excuses. And the mm-hmm. people who are still being silent were still being silent. Um, and then what made me even more upset were like um, the white Christians that like have been Trump supporters and have been praying for something to happen. Like there was no like, this is wrong and it shouldn't have happened. It was just kind of like silence, nothing from them either. And so it's like all this evidence is presented in front of you of why this isn't good and why this is unfair and why we're so angry. And you still don't understand. Um, you still don't empathize. You still don't get it. So that's when I became angry. I think at the lack of response from people that I was hoping are still hoping would have a response, but haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in the middle of a school day, so I had just gotten off of a video call with um, a teacher that I had a meeting with, and I got some news notification about the fact that the Capitol was being stormed. And I, even though, like in retrospect, I had been wondering if in the days leading up to January 20th or 21st, um, if something would happen, I was shocked and I like stopped everything and really couldn't believe the images that I was seeing. And I, my first reaction after shock was fear, um, just with not like that really, I'd never seen anything like that happen in, in a building and in Washington DC, DC, a place of such high security that you think is untouchable, um, for that to just have been so easily toppled. Um, and the photos of people inside the Capitol and, it's just unbelievable to me. Um, and I also have been avoiding the news in general and even Facebook. I don't dig too deep into what's going on there because it is upsetting and like ruins relationships um, sometimes for me or like it's hard to get over some things that people post. Um, so I've been avoiding that. But I've been just in the past couple days worried about the fallout and knowing how things have gone in the past with issues that are just as horrible or not too, or, you know, just as aggravating, but, you know, not at the scale in terms of national security being broken, knowing how those have transpired in the past Mm. with um, white perpetrators, uh, just worried about how justice may or may not be Mm. delivered in the Mm -hmm. days to come. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, you guys kind of touched on this already. Um, you know, I, I have a, a, a friend who's a, a fellow vineyard pastor um, in our, in our uh, movement who is black, who made a post alluding to something I think, Jay, you mentioned this idea of, you know, we seem to live in two different Americas. Um, and kind of very similar response, just the lack of consequence was unfathomable. Um, you know, you didn't see people getting arrested. Um, I, you know, I remember even watching a scene where the police were just physically just with their hands kind of just shoving people back. Um, 
I mean, like you would as a school teacher, if you, you know, if you had a mom of third graders coming out, you'd be like, sit down, sit down. I mean, it was just so unbelievable. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess that's kind of my follow-up question. You know, you talked about, uh, this particular event, um, and the evidence that, um, supports this idea of, of two very different kinds of experiences of living in America. Um, can you expound on that at all about how it feels like there's two different Americas that works? Our experience is very different. Um, this was just another example. Um, do you have anything you want to kind of add, add to that other ways, um, that it feels like two different Americas, two different experiences. Well, Hannah mentioned the fear, and I think that's like um, a huge element of this whole situation, right? Like they were able to freely do that, and then they were praised for it by our highest, mm -hmm. I mean, they were praised for it by our president. So like, um, obviously that speaks volumes to how our country is as far as like, um, identifying what's right and wrong and like the concern for people of color. Like, obviously we don't matter. We are seen as less than, um, that's kind of why BML or BLM exists, Black Lives Matter, because we, we are reminded daily and Wednesday was just another example that our lives don't matter. And so like that brings about fear mm -hmm. and concern because if people like that on TV I mean, I guess that's extreme, but like that happens on a daily basis. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Me and my husband experience things like that on a daily basis where people treat us less than in some shape or form. And so you always have to like consider when you're going places, how are you going to be viewed by others? And so even with this move to Louisville, Kentucky, um, when my husband found out about the job, the first thing was like, well, do they know that you're black? Because like, would they still give you this position if they knew you were Black? And he was like, I don't know. So I was like, well, do we tell them now or do we tell them when you show up and then have to deal with the consequences of that? Um, even the idea of my husband, he's currently packing up a truck and he's going to travel cross country. Like, that's terrifying to me. I don't want him to because I don't know if a single, like, one Black man should be driving across country because what if, you know, there are people out there that like see him and run him off the road or, you know, like try to hurt him. Like he's by himself. And so, uh, there's a lot of fear in that. Um, mm -hmm. Kentucky is a Southern state. They went red. Um, I don't know if our neighbors are going to be racist or are they going to be welcoming? Do they want us there or do they not? And mm -hmm. so, uh, there are things that like, as a black person, you have to think about and consider that white people don't ever think and consider. Right. Um, and I think like that's frustrating when you try to explain that experience to people and they're just like, yeah, well, you know, like we had it hard too. Not everything was handed to us, but it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but you have to understand that just because your skin is a lighter shade, you will have opportunities and experiences and you won't have the same struggles that we will have. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. so um, that's frustrating to continually have these conversations privately at home with your family about mm -hmm. them and like, you know, plan for what you're going to do or how you're going to handle that situation. And then, you know, have to go out into the world and pretend like that doesn't matter or like mm -hmm. that we're not being judged because of our skin color. So 
Yeah. And yeah. You know, something you said, Lydia, um, you know how you'll have these conversations with white people and they'll say, well, I've had it hard in these kinds of ways. Um, but, but it wasn't because of my skin color that I had it hard. Like certainly as a human being, we all have different kinds of hardships and suffering. But as a white person, it wasn't a result of my skin color that I had a particular kind of hardship. And, yeah. and that's the distinct difference um, yeah. that I think is often misunderstood. Yeah, I actually, so when I gave birth to my daughter, I had a very traumatic experience. Um, it was awful. <laughs> and part of the problem was that I was never heard. Like mm. nobody ever heard my concerns. So for 10 days, they kept telling me that my pain wasn't that big of a deal and that it was just part of having a C-section. I'd be fine. Um, and just did not listen to my husband and I in regards to like treatment options or anything until I finally got too sick. They were like, oh, well, maybe we should do something. Mm. Um, but anyways, when I came out of there, the question was asked, was I treated that way because of the color of my skin or was mm. I treated that way because it was poor health care? Mm. And uh, I remember sharing that with a group of women who weren't Christians and they were very empathetic and was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And it was like, it probably was race related. And then I remember sharing it with people at my church and one of the ladies being like yeah that could have happened to anyone you mm. know so like it's not right. that big of a deal mm. you should just you know mm. we mm -hmm. all have to deal with poor health care so mm. yeah that's very true a lot of people miss that part mm -hmm. <laughs> that we mm -hmm. always have to consider is this because of our color of our skin that we're being treated the way mm -hmm. that we are mm -hmm. I think for me looking at what what happened you know on Wednesday it's people don't think of the long-term trauma of the videos we've been seeing of what's been happening to black bodies mm. for a number of years. It, it was hard for me to see the freedom that I saw yesterday. And now all these people are playing through my minds. I'm seeing Tamir Rice, who was shot within one second of the police car pulling up. Um, you know, I'm, we watched George Floyd die over a $20 bill. You know what I'm saying? Like Ahmaud Arbery was literally jogging. They, they were not storming the Capitol to interrupt a peaceful transfer of power. Mm -hmm. um, like you, we, we can just go down the list of things that we've seen, things that I've seen, things that people have, have engaged in and endured. Um, so to see that mm -hmm. and then to see what happened in D.C. where I'm like, man, um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not mad at the protesters. I mean, at the end of the day, you protest and if you decide to loot and riot. I disagree with you, but there's consequences for that typically. Mm -hmm. uh, but to see the stark difference in just how it was being viewed, how it was being handled, uh, it absolutely is two different worlds. You know, I, there's things I don't get to do. You know, I, I've worked in corporate and I learned very quickly there's, there's a certain way I can't be here because when I do that, it's perceived as Example, I love to laugh. I love to have a good time. Well, I'm perceived as being lazy and goofing around when the white guy next to me, who's actually louder and goofier, is being promoted because he's friendly. Mm. It's along with people and works with others well. And I'm like, well, time out. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm joking with him, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm in the office getting written up. Mm. Um, you know, I remember going to the mall and People go to the mall and typically they stand around and talk and look through windows for stuff that they know they don't need to buy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I was standing outside of a window, uh, minding my own business, waiting on a ride to pick me up. And I had a guy come tell me I was loitering outside of his store and he was calling the police on me. Like, 
it's it's crazy. I can do normal things. Um, mm-hmm. There's a quote, and I forgot who the lady who the lady was, but basically, being black is to understand that at any point in time, something bad can happen to me under no volition of my own. Mm-hmm. I've been at the lakefront and been asked to leave because I fit the description of a suspect in the area. Like, I'm doing nothing. I'm literally standing here, and of course, when they say, you know, we've got word of a suspicious person. The suspicious person tends to typically look like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the world is very different. Mm-hmm. And it's it's navigating that and it's constantly repeated to you through images, through visuals, all of the things that have been being said this entire summer. Mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick called a SOB because he kneeled. Yeah. And that's disrespectful to the national anthem. But people were out there with the flags on the ground. They're carrying it and dropping it on. You know, the guy was in Nancy Pelosi's office with the flag draped over the side of. That's not disrespectful to the flag. People are in the Capitol with the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. Um, but Colin Kaepernick was an SOB. And these mm-hmm. people, uh, I love you and you're special. Mm-hmm. I like I'm listening to the words. I'm I'm hearing what's being said. We're not talked about like that, you know. What happened yesterday, if we look up the definition of domestic terrorism, just being honest, it falls under that grounds. Mm-hmm. But yet and still, we want to make Black Lives Matter into a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm and I'm not saying which one is right or wrong. I'm just saying that. The words, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't, look, I'm just saying, this. these are the things that were being said all mm-hmm. summer long. Um, I do my business as far as working with multicultural situations. I've had pastors tell me, I'm not willing to talk to you about multicultural anything until you all stop looting and rioting. You all, <laughs> I don't have that type of power, first of all. Um <laughs> Secondly, like, okay, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. Well, people who are very vocal all summer were very quiet the last couple of days. Mm. And if I'm honest, we see that. Mm. We remember. Mm-hmm. I remember what you said to me. I remember the, the post you put up. I remember the things you were saying. I remember you calling me out. I remember you. I remember. And now, mm-hmm. well, People are calling them patriots. They're fighting for the country. Well, you know, I had a guy, so the lady who was shot for trying to come through the into the chamber through the door, hey, she was unarmed and the death penalty shouldn't have been used on her. And I'm just, <laughs> we've been crying that out for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And all we get told is if you comply, you wouldn't die. Mm. I didn't see a lot of compliance yesterday. Mm-mm. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I saw was, again, tremendous restraint. I saw a value being placed on the bodies that were running into the Capitol mm-hmm. that we don't have placed on ours. Doing the same stuff, both of them being wrong. Because mm-hmm. it's all wrong. I don't justify any of it. It's all wrong, but the value I saw placed Police are getting shoved. They're getting pushed. They're getting knocked down. They're spraying the police with pepper spray. And the police, to your point, they did an amazing job. 
I, they really did. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want those officers throughout the country. I need right. them showing up to mental health episodes because we had a lot of young African-Americans being killed for having mental health episodes where there's five police officers on site in one person. Mm-hmm. But they feared for their lives. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jay, when you said it's not an issue of whether the behavior is right or wrong. It's the value placed on the bodies. That was the distinct difference. And that right there, I mean, that's the two different worlds that you're talking about. Yes. It was that's the value we, placed. Yep. That's right. That's why we're screaming out when we're saying Black Lives Matter and people take that personal. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, what we're saying is we don't feel that mm-hmm. we matter as much as mm-hmm. some others. Right. And that was an example for us looking at it. There's a much higher value placed on certain individuals for them to be able to do that. Right. And my conversation was, hey, here, unfortunately, only white people get to do that type of stuff. Right. Live through it, go home, mm-hmm. and get arrested tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If they're arrested. Right. Right. Yeah, I was going to kind of jump off something you guys just said. But before I do that, did, did Hannah, did you want to add anything to to what's been said so far? Um, I, I just wanted to agree. Um, I do think that it, I've already emphasized it, but um, the difference between the two Americas that we could see um, is in the value that's placed on bodies as well as not just in um, a day-to-day experience, but also in these systemic issues that are at play in our country. I see that mostly in my day-to-day um, in the public school system, um, just uh, the vast difference in value that's placed on uh, brown and black students' education um, as compared to what's offered in in the suburbs and in other um, better off districts. Um, There's a lot at play in systems, but um, that's just, I think that's um, really a very, the the, the definition of of seeing the value, like the difference in value in Mm -hmm. black and and white lives um, really is a, is present in in those issues as well and is another way that it's enforced that or that the message is sent to a black and brown person that that their value their life is um not worth as much yeah yeah and i'm glad you brought that point up because i think you know the you know we were talking about the event that just happened which was just this like massive you know like like you were saying earlier, Lene, like the evidence, like right in front of your face, like so such a severe contradiction. Um, but there's so much below the waterline, as you're talking about, Hannah, that's just like in every system within America, in a formation of America. Um, and it plays out in all all the ways in education and healthcare and in all, you know, um, neighborhoods. I mean, we just go on and on and on. And, um, and even unfortunately, even in our churches. Um, and I, and I think that's what I wanted to, you know, kind of, um, end our time with, um, is, you know, I think that's, you know, all of us here, um, are followers of Jesus and, you know, Lydia, you talked about, um, you know, coming off of your trauma with your, 
your experience after your delivery and felt more empathy from your friends outside the church than in the church, which is so unfortunate. And, um, you know, I feel like there's been, um, more and more, I've seen more and more pastors and leaders kind of coming out over the last few years, coming against some of the policies and the ideology uh, represented by this administration, you know, around things, around issues of justice and immigration, all kinds of things. But there, it's still been kind of in this vague space, I have felt like, um, lots of different messages, and there's been such this desire for unity. And so seems to be like a, you know, a focus on bringing the left and the right together and all of that. And I feel like after this happened, I saw, I feel like it, it just, something just broke open and I'm seeing, um, a, like a level of, um, leaders and pastors, like more prominent leaders and pastors that have big voices in the Christian community coming out with a little more bold, clear, direct statements. Um, in fact, I just read an article. I don't know if, if you guys have saw in um, Christianity Today. Um, I think it might have come out today um, where the author, it's titled, We Worship the Magi, Not the Maga. Um, and he wrote, um, he wrote, so for me, the worst part of yesterday's insurrection is how it represents an utter failure in the American church. Um, this anti-epiphany reveals the horrid outgrowth of Christian nationalism, faulty spiritual formation, false teaching, political ideology, and overriding ignorance. Brought, though it saddens me deeply, it must be clearly admitted, yesterday's atrocity was in large part brought to us by the white evangelical church in America. And then another um, pastor, one of my personal kind of heroes in the faith. He's a South African vineyard pastor um, named Alexander Venture, who's authored a bunch of books on healing and church and spirituality. And he was actually very prominent pastoring during our, our apartheid and um, actually helped fight against that when he was in South Africa, which he's still in South Africa, but he's been following like the rest of the world, what's been happening. He said a lot of things, but I just wanted to read a, one, one part of a reaction he had, um, he said, biblically speaking, we get the leaders we deserve. God raises up and or allows leaders in power often to unmask and mirror the face of the nation, revealing the character of their supporters. In this case, the majority of white U.S. evangelical Christians. Trump has not so much damaged the witness and credibility of the church through the wholesale support of fundamentalist evangelicals with their leaders and court prophets continually uncritically blessing Trump. Rather, God has used him to reveal their theological and moral bankruptcy in their idolatry of American Christian nationalism. Judgment begins at the house of God. And then he quotes 1 Peter 4.17. And so as I'm kind of reflecting on all of this and the way sort of Christian nationalism, which is sort of where we have this kind of mingling of our allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom of God in with our allegiance to America or, or, you know, making American idol. And I think intermingled with that is this white supremacy that is part of America 
And so it gets all intermixed, which I think is kind of at the root of what's been happening. And um, I, I guess I wonder what your thoughts are, because I've been kind of processing this myself. Has the church in America been too passive in our responses all along in these last four years in this in, you know, political environment we've been in? Have we, are we speaking out too late? Um, you know, are, have we come across to, you know, have we not, it, it is sort of in our um, desire to remain unified as a body with people on different sides of the aisle, like historically, you know, Democrats, Republicans coming together. Um, but with this being a very unique political situation that's revealed this, you know, sh you know, kind of put a mirror up to the reality of this um, mixing of Christianity and nationalism. Have we not confronted this more directly soon enough? No, we took too long. Mm. So it's, I appreciate the article that came out, mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, you're going to wait until the fire burns the house down to tell me it's a fire over here. Mm. Um, no, I need you to say something when you see smoke. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to give credit. I struggled yesterday. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably I'm the opposite of the other couple of ladies. Like I'm all into the news. I'm all into the politics of all of this. You know, I'm watching the proceedings. And it's amazing to me that, you know, people are giving credit to even some of the senators or some of the congressmen that initially were going to object. But now that this happened, mm. I withdraw my objection. Well, you don't get any credit for that. Um, you're just trying to be on the right side of, of history based on, in my mind, based mm -hmm. on what's happened. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it would be really hard for you to stand up and to still support him today. I wouldn't expect you to do that. Mm -hmm. My issue as a minority is I need you to stand up and say something. Where have you been the last four years when we've been crying out and screaming and yelling and telling you there's a problem and you've been ignoring us? Mm -hmm. You haven't been willing to say anything because you've been afraid of losing congregants. You haven't been willing to take a stand on any of these major issues. When George Floyd is kneeled on for nine minutes and dies and there's silence throughout the Christian world. But now, finally, finally. So for me, it's like, so if this is what it takes mm. to denounce, I'm scared to death um, of, of us. And if this is how the church responds when people have been hurting, people have been telling you there's problems, there's been saying there's issues, and we've refused to take up arms with our brothers and sisters, literally in Christ, uh -huh. and, and stand by them and at least say, I'm cool with the people that absolutely voted for President Trump, but at least can acknowledge the man lies. They, uh -huh. uh -huh. look, the man is crazy, he's racist, he says all type of off the wall stuff, but his policies are working for my family. I can respect you. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? The stuff he's doing and saying, it, it, it's, yeah, I wish he wouldn't say that. But you know what? My business is doing really well under his policies. That's why I voted for him. I can get that. When I hear people telling me he's God's man for this time. Mm -hmm. What lies? When has he ever lied? Give me an example of his racism. 
He's never been racist. And this is coming from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. These are coming from churches. When we as minorities, again, when the Bible says that we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we as minorities are telling you the phrase, make America great again is problematic. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? We're trying to get it back. I'm trying to tell you that mm-hmm. for us, this is the best it's been. Mm-hmm. And we're still screaming. So when you say, let's make it great again, what are we going back to? We going back to segregation? We going back to the civil rights movement? Are we going back to sharecropping? Are we going back to Jim Crow? Are we going back to lynchings? Are we going back to the GI Bill not mattering for us? Are we going back to red? I'm sorry, redlining is actually still happening. So no, what are we going back to? So when we're saying these things and we're explaining them as eloquently as we can for those of us that are able and we're, we've been ignored, mm-hmm. many of us have been saying this is going to be a problem. The man is giving us every sign and we've still seen churches sign up for it, mm-hmm. still seen places. I know pastors that have been, you know, hey, look, if you don't vote Republican, you're going to hell. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democratic. That's being said by Christians. Yeah. So for me, I appreciate the article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you go wait till they literally storm the Capitol before right. you put it out. No, right. you get in my mind, you get zero credit. We all mm-hmm. saw that happening. At mm-hmm. this point, how can you not say something? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I don't give them any. I appreciate them. Yeah. No, we needed we needed that two years ago. Right. Yeah. In, in my opinion, I think the church has not just been too late in the last four years. I think it's been too late from way way before <laughs> since <laughs> Jesus left. <laughs> yeah, I mean the church has been complicit with um, inequality in this country since before its foundation. Um, there's like a history of the gospel and Christianity being used to defend slavery, to defend, you know, separate but equal, um, and to, as the foundation of this country, it was supposed to be a Christian nation. So already, I think from, from the initiation of, of this country, there's been a, a confusion between nationalism and following Jesus. Um, and so I think, yeah, it would have been great for the church to speak out at the start of the Trump presidency or before the Trump presidency began while the campaign was happening um, in 2015, 2016, or whatever, 2014, um, all those years. But yeah, I just think the church is is hundreds of years late, um, Mm. personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for making that point. (laughs) That's that's an important one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have too much more to add to that. Um, The color of compromise speaks to that, just how American Christianity was founded in white supremacy, racism, Mm -hmm. um, and slavery. And so Mm -hmm. that's what we're founded on. And I remember years ago, one of my mentors said, the the thing that will destroy our nation is that we've never, as a Christian community, repented of racism. We've never Mm -hmm. dealt with slavery. We've never addressed these issues. And so um, here we are where there's a blatant example of it. And you said... 
that there are pastors that are coming out and speaking out against it. But my own personal pastor is still silent, hasn't mm-hmm. said anything. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it's too late. I think we're dealing with the consequences of it now. And I yeah. think the reality is, is that um, we're going to be judged and we're about to we're about to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, at the very beginning of this, God really spoke to me because I was really frustrated with everything that was happening. And he took me to the passage. Um, now I'm going to butcher it because now I can't even think of who it is. Zachariah, I think mm. he uh, had a writer that wrote for him. I forget his name. But he was basically saying, how long do we have to suffer? How long do we have to go through this? And I feel like as a Black community, that's something that we say to God often. And God's message to him was that, like, don't worry about the suffering. Like this nation will be punished for the suffering that they've given you. Just know that your life will be spared. And so I feel like that verse has come to mind several times that like this nation will be judged for Mm. what we have yet to repent of and deal with Mm. and address. And so it's just interesting to see how God is placing certain people in certain positions. Mm. And so there's a little bit of like sadness that our nation will be judged, but excitement because I feel like God is very mindful of the people who are suffering and is he's going to take care of them too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So when you think about people of color in these high positions they're being put into, I'm just like, kind of reminds me of the Joseph story and how like Joseph was at the very bottom and he was elevated to a position um, where he had a lot of say and being able to protect his family but like he took care of a whole nation. And Mm -hmm. so I see that happening with people of color. So 2020 and 2021 has been discouraging, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's something happening beyond what we can see Mm -hmm. that God is doing. And so um, the church, I think is too late, but (laughs) um, I I feel like I've had a Jonah spirit where I'm just like, okay, burn it down and let's move Mm -hmm. on. (laughs) And And God has been very patient. And then Mm -hmm. he, I feel like he keeps saying, yeah, but think about Nineveh, like they repented eventually and I did save that nation. And so Mm -hmm. I do think that God always is giving us chances and there's still opportunity for that. Um, But I don't know if we're too late. Like, I don't know if that Mm -hmm. will happen for us just because we still haven't done it. We still mm-hmm. haven't addressed the issues. We haven't addressed mm-hmm. the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Dang. I'm like feeling, uh, Lydia, just as you're sharing, I'm just, oh, Hannah, yes. Oh, no, I'm just saying snaps. Oh, snap snaps. Yeah. I actually um, just feel the Holy Spirit so much as you're talking. And I think I shared this with you last time we talked. I had, I've had this word from the Lord for years. Um, it comes from a David Byrne song and it's, burning down the house is the term that he's used. And I've never, I, for a long time, I wasn't sure what he was referring to. I mean, over and over again. And the last time I had you on and today that keeps coming back to me and I'm like feeling it in my body right now. And I do, I've just had this sense, this through this whole pandemic, there's just been this massive purification process happening to the bride of Christ and to his church. And I think this is an enormous piece of that is, you know, this, like the church in America is this sort of, you know, it is like a, a judgment on us. You know what I mean? It's like, um, you know, God hears um, the voices of people who are oppressed and persecuted. They, they rise up to his ears and they're just, it feels like God is 
is on the move and in this way. And, um, and I hear what you're saying, you know, it just feels like too little too late. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, as you're talking, um, you know, it feels like, feels like the, you know, the, the church in America, you know, has failed so miserably and yet God's church, the church of Jesus, you know, the gates of hell will not overcome. And so there's this, just this sense of God, you know, God's church will prevail. And so I guess as we kind of think about moving forward, um, is there anything that sort of gives you hope? Is there anything where you see in the midst of everything that's wrong, <laughs> um, that you see God's hand, that you see where um, God is moving and, um, you know, uh, that gives you just a sense of, of a, a different tomorrow? I know I see I'm still blessing every day. Um, mm. there's, there's relationships that I have specifically from a multicultural standpoint, people who get it, who understand it, who have been vocal, who have been standing alongside me, um, who reach out just to see how I'm doing. Like, hey, I saw this happen. Um, I remember, you know, take the, the day of George Floyd, when that happened and that video hit, I had, you know, three of my right brothers, man, they just hit me. Like, I just saw the news and I'm just checking on you. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't have, they didn't have a, a answer. They didn't have anything else for me, but just, I love you. I'm here yeah. if you need me. And in those moments, that's, that's all you can ask for, you know, is to have somebody just say, not trying to, to talk me into, um, you know, what you saw wasn't what you saw and, you know, making excuses or anything else, but just saying, I'm here and I'm willing to listen to whatever you want to say. This is a safe place. Mm. And I, I know so many people like that meeting people who care about you regardless, um, who are inquisitive, who are asking questions. Mm -hmm. So many people who are saying, I didn't know, but now that I do, I'm yeah. doing things differently. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got tremendous hope. I think anytime you, if you got Christ in your life, you can't help but hope. That's, he, he is the great hope. <laughs> um, why else would we do this? Why else would I live for him? Um, it's the opportunity to speak on his behalf. It's the opportunity to see him work in people's lives and to help people love each other the way that he loves us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm extremely hopeful. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, regardless of who's in the office, man, Jesus is still on the throne. Mm -hmm. And that keeps me going every single day because I know he's got a handle on whatever. And to Lydia's point, it hasn't mattered. It doesn't matter what happens. If you're in the palm of Jesus' hands, man, I'm telling you, he will protect you. He will keep you. He will watch over you. He will bless you in the middle of a pandemic. He'll open doors that other people can't open. He'll place the right people around you at the right time. Um, so, yes, I'm incredibly hopeful for the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think for me, like along the lines of what Lydia was saying, um, and in answer to your question, kind of, of, mm -hmm how we can see God at work and what's going on. I do think that like though this year, the start of this year has been traumatic and really upsetting. It is evidence that God is doing something like he's sifting the sand or running his fingers through our uh, foundation and mm -hmm. things are being stirred up and it's very painful. But um, 
you see uh, signs of of him working, of him of revealing, like in what the quote you quoted of how God raises up leaders who reflect mm. like what's wrong in the country. Like that's showing that he's you know gonna do something about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who uh, reached out on Wednesday when all this was happening and encouraged me and a couple of my friends from college. And she uh, sent us this verse from Psalm 146, just reminding us, um, do not put your trust in princes and mortal men. Um, uh, the Lord is the one who upholds the cause of the oppressed. Mm. And he's the one who gives food to the hungry and sets prisoners free. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just was really encouraging to me that, that we're never, we were never meant to have hope in our country, mm. though good things have, can happen politics and government that's not where our hope is supposed to be mm-hmm. set or our security is found it's it's in the true king and and that's really where i find encouragement and the ability to, to carry on mm-hmm. thank you hannah that's kind of a good <laughs> a good word to to end on um yeah before before i kind of cl- close this out did, did anybody else want to add anything to anything that we've talked about so far? I would just emphasize like um, God always takes a remnant, right? Like if he does, does something, he always takes a group of people who have followed them and he protects them and saves them for the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my hope is that like there will be a remnant from this. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And they will carry on. And so my prayer is always, God, like, search my heart, know my thoughts, um, see my ways. And, like, if there's anything that's offensive and not of you, let me know so that I can change it. And so I guess um, just continually being mindful of, like, where do I fit into all of this? Am I a part of the problem or am I being a part of the solution? Mm. Um, And just continually trusting God for direction as we navigate these, like, uncharted waters. Mm. So. So yeah. good. I was actually um, earlier when I was sharing, I was thinking that same word, the remnant, and and have had heard some really good teachings just along the lines of what you're saying, Lydia, of of pulling up that remnant, and that that is actually my hope as well of just um, true disciples of Jesus that are willing to go the places that Jesus went and and live the life He calls us to to lead and. Um, uh, and that's actually what gives me hope as well. And, um, you know, I guess I just want to um, first thank you, all three of you, so much for being willing to bear your souls openly <laughs> um, for, for everyone who's going to participate in this. Um, I just, yeah, I, I feel like it's beyond valuable. Um, your stories, your lives, what you're sharing with us, what you're willing to share. Um, we gain so much from it. And so thank you so much for being a part of this. And um, I look at trying to find my notes here. I, as I've been processing this, um, I've been thinking about the verse uh, from Micah 6, 8 which says he has shown you O mortal what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
And so I've been thinking about what it means to do justice and walk humbly. And um, I, so I guess kind of my, my last thing here, I think I'm speaking um, more so to um, kind of to my white brothers and sisters about, you know, as we, to carry those things in tension, um, because I think that at times when you step into doing justice, um, you can take on a form of self-righteousness. Like I'm one of the enlightened ones, I'm on the good side of things. And um, I saw a term being used on social media called virtual signaling. Have you heard of virtual signaling, anybody? I had not heard of it and it kind of shot out at me. So I actually looked up the definition. It is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. And I think um, there's a temptation to do that. So you can feel like you're, you know, you're on the right side of things. And, um, and so I think it's really important as um, a follower of Jesus to call out what is wrong and what is evil. Um, and so I think it's important that we have to call out the idolatry and allure of Christian nationalism and its intermingling with white supremacy. We have to just continue to call that out openly and talk about it. Um, but I saw this quote that really spoke to me personally from, from somebody on Facebook. And I said, it, it says, I think it is dangerous for American Christians of all stripes, and then he put, with some exceptions, to denounce Christian nationalism as those people over there without deeper self-reflection. Um, then he went on to talk about Nancy Pelosi's uh, invoking of the prayer of St. Francis at, at the joint session of Congress when it restarted um, late last night is another side of the same coin of invoking God to baptize and bless any nationalist aspirations. To denounce yesterday's acts as blatant displays of Christian nationalism without examining our own traditions, historic investments in Christian nationalism is akin to saying that the real racists are those who wear white hoods and burn crosses. Racism and white supremacy certainly run deeper than that, as does Christian nationalism. Those of us who identify as Christians are likely more invested in the nation than we'd care to admit. And so I have just for me, that is the mix of humility and doing justice to carry those things in tension that I am called to put myself on the line to, to risk offending people, to risk damaging relationships, to be on the right side of truth, of biblical truth and justice, and to speak boldly about it, but to recognize my own entanglement with white supremacy and Christian nationalism. And that's the deep inner work I have to continue to do. And so I've kind of, because I know a lot of white people are watching this today, I just kind of wanted to leave with that exhortation that I, I, I don't wanna be part of the church that's, that's too late and not willing to continue to do justice and um, at, at any cost, biblical justice. Uh, but part of that as a white person is for you to do your own internal work 
about your own attachment to your whiteness and to white supremacy and to your own intermingling of Christianity and nationalism. And that's just the important ongoing work that we as white followers of Jesus need to do. And so I wanted to just give that kind of final exhortation to my white brothers and sisters as we, um, as, as we move forward as the church of Jesus Christ. So, so I'm going to kind of officially close this out. Um, but once again, we are just incredibly honored and privileged to um, have had this time together today. And I know it was incredibly fruitful for me. I felt the Holy Spirit's presence as we were talking. I, um, I just encourage you to be praying for healing um, and uh, just seeking um, the move of the spirit in the midst of everything that's going on and to lean in and join God and what he's doing. Look around at the signs of the time, um, see what God is doing and be a part of what God's doing. Go in peace in your Milwaukee.